Listen, if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, over the last several weeks, I've been teaching a series called Choose Joy. And essentially, we've been wrestling with this basic question right here. Can you experience joy in the midst of tough and great suffering? And of course, the answer through the series is a resounding yes. Now, if you'd love to engage that series, there's a link right here on the screen. I encourage you to check it out. Today, we're going to tweak the question just a little bit. Here's the one that we're going to focus on today. How do I reclaim joy in the midst of tough times? Now, here's what both you and I both know in this moment. It's possible to wake up on, a, on any given day with a sense of joy or start off a week with a sense of joy. But all of the different ways that life is broken has the capacity to literally pounce upon us and suck that joy right out of us. So we've got to figure out how to develop a discipline posture that helps us to continue to reclaim our joy. And so the passage that we're looking at today is written by uh, 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 an inspired writer that's writing to a Christian community. It's the book of Hebrews and uh, the epistle of Hebrews in the New Testament. And the community that he's writing to is a group of Christians, Jesus followers, who are undergoing horrendous persecution and trauma and tragedy. They are desperate to try to figure out how does one reclaim one's joy in the midst of tough times. And what's fascinating about the writer here in Hebrews is that he says to them, well, listen, I want you to focus your attention on the master teacher. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says, and I don't want you to catch him in the classroom when he's delivering the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to catch this master teaching, teacher in the classroom of his most horrendous, uh, horrible, excruciating earthly crisis, his crucifixion, his greatest moment of suffering because he has something to teach you. He can empower you in this moment. So listen, I know this is Resurrection Sunday, but I say every year at this time, you and I, we can't begin to celebrate resurrection until we spend a little time with Jesus on Good Friday, working through the experience of his cross. And even if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I still want you to lean in. Somebody shout, lean in! Because <laughs> Jesus has still got something to teach you. Because you, like everybody else, you're trying to figure out in the midst of tough times how to reclaim your joy. All right, let's listen to what the writer here says. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All of us who are trying to reclaim our joy, let's do this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the master teacher, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Come on now. Here it goes. For the joy, shout for the joy, set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I want you to focus here. For the joy that was set before him. Can you say joy? Now, I want to make sure that when you say joy, and I say joy, that we're talking about exactly the same thing. Let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about happiness. No. You see, happiness is usually a feeling that's based on external circumstances. And while I'm sure Jesus had a lot of feelings in the midst of his crucifixion, I don't think happiness was one of them. But joy, the joy that we're talking about today, the joy that I believe is 
part of his experience. It's, it, sometimes it includes happiness, sometimes it includes delight, but it begins as an attitude that defies circumstances. That, that Jesus had an attitude as he was dying on that cross that literally defied the circumstances of his crucifixion. And that that experience, that sense of joy that I want to call it, is also captured, not just, is also captured by words like an inner confidence, a conviction, an assurance, a joy. Can you say joy? All right, listen. Uh, here's, here's, let's, let's look at the, the text here very closely. Note this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the master teacher in the midst of crucifixion, is going to teach us about two things that are key to reclaiming our joy. The first he's going to teach us about is, is his unique brand of faith. And the second he's going to teach us about is this notion of faithfulness. Go back to the text. Let me show you. Go back to the text. I'll show you right here. All right. It was Jesus, the pioneer, that means that uh, uh, he is the beginning of this faith and the perfecter. That means that he's the goal of this faith that we're going to talk about. Watch this. But he is also the one who out of that place of faith models, models for us a faithfulness. And so the two words that you want to keep your eye on as we work through this teaching, as I've said, is faith and faithfulness. See, faith is a posture. It's an attitude. But faithfulness, oh, that's a series of actions that you and I must engage in as we replicate the lessons that Jesus teaches us as he dies in the midst of crucifixion. All right. Listen, here's a story. When I was back in Boston, I pastored a church there for uh, nearly 20 years and and there was this comedy act that really was rooted in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, kind of rural New England culture uh, out of the, you know, kind of eastern Maine. It was called Bert and I. And they had a kind of routine that they would do as they would use the accent of kind of a rural Maine dweller. And it was centered around this uh, kind of fictional place, Melanaka. The question starts, to, to goes to Bert uh, how do you get the Melanaka from here? <laughs> Bert responds, well, you, you head down this highway and you go, oh, about 15 miles. You go see a lake there off on the right and, and you make a right and, and then you head on down. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. You really need to go down this highway. And it's really about 30 miles and, and you're going to run right into a little small town. It only has about one red light there. So when you get to the first red light, I want you to make sure you make that first Hmm, Melanaka, huh? You can't get there from here. I don't think you can get there from here. You see, there's somebody watching me right now, and you're in the midst of going from, you're exhausted, one trauma after the next trauma after the next trauma, and you say, Pastor, come on, let's, let's talk joy, reclaiming joy. I, I don't think I can get there from here. Maybe you're watching on the phone as you sit in a hospital bed or in a prison cell. Or maybe you just signed the, uh, the bankruptcy papers on yesterday and you're, you're thinking, joy, reclaim my joy. That's as foreign as Melanaka. <laughs> I don't think we can get here from here, get there from here. 
But the writer in Hebrews says, no, 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 no. Jesus, the master teacher, he can get us there. And it begins with the, with the faith that he teaches us from in the moment of his crucifixion. And the first thing he wants the people in the community that he's writing to to understand, he says, listen, I want you to find your identity in Jesus because part of Jesus dying on the cross is he's one who is identifying with you. Listen, with me. Oh, yeah, yeah, take a look at this picture. We see, we see the background of Jesus in the darkness on the cross. and it's a, rem- it's a reminder that as he dies on the cross, he's contending with the worst forces of evil. Oh, I mean, it, it is Jesus who speaks out to to the family of Mr. George Floyd. Everybody's watching the trial this week, of course, and, 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 and remembering how the police officer put his knee on Mr. Uh, Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 48 seconds, murdering him publicly. And Jesus says to the family, in the midst of that evil, I fear you. The, the Asian, uh, elderly, vulnerable Asian Americans who are being publicly attacked in broad daylight. Doormen's are, uh, the doorman is turning their back and closing the door while it's taking place. And they and their family members, Jesus is saying from the cross, I feel you. And the folk who, who, who loved ones were, was, 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 was violently murdered in Boulder, Boulder, in Boulder Colorado, in those spas in, in Atlanta. Jesus is saying from the cross, I know what it's like to contend with evil. I feel you. Perhaps you're thinking, well, you're dealing with some other form of injustice. Well, Jesus would just remind you, listen, here's how you got it. He was an innocent man, arrested, lied on, come on now, found guilty in a jury-rigged court, sentenced to death. This cross here, that's capital punishment. That's, 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 that equals our electric chair. And, and he's innocently dying in, on this cross. And you can almost hear Jesus say, be sure to listen to Dr. King, uh, who, will year, who will millenniums later say these words. Uh, you can't afford to ignore injustice anywhere because injustice anywhere is in fact a threat to justice everywhere. Well, perhaps you're dealing with your own sense of shame and guilt. And there's a part of you that say, oh, I wish I could break free from this shame and guilt. Jesus says, I feel you. He said, did you not hear the prophet say uh, that the God has placed upon him the iniquity of us all? And he's saying, it would be helpful right now if you would understand that, that, that in the one dying on the cross, come on now, it's God himself who's atoning for what you can't atone for, who's paying the cost for what you cannot pay for. So that when he declares you are forgiven, you are not just forgiven, but you are set free. Jesus says, I feel you. Perhaps you're in the midst of horrendous pain right now as you watch here this picture and Jesus says to you I feel you I'm thinking about one of my beloved uh, members from New Beginnings two weeks ago she had an amputation of a limb I know I suspect she's watching this Easter gathering right now from a rehabilitation room full of physical and emotional perhaps some spiritual pain agonizing but still faithfully watching I want my dear sister to hear Jesus call out to you. 
I feel you. I know what agonizing physical pain is. I know what agonizing emotional pain is. I know what it's like. Come on, he's both hands nailed to the cross, both feet nailed to the cross, blood flowing from everywhere. Oh, my goodness, he says to you, I feel you. And this is how you can know I'm with you right in the midst of your suffering. <laughs> Perhaps you're just looking at this notion of death. <laughs> Jesus, he dies right here. He dies. And the writer in Hebrews, you know, he has a very interesting way. Look at the text here. He says, and, come on now, enduring the cross and scorning his shame. And, what a powerful word. There's so much included in that word, and. Uh, but, but, but just suffice it to be said this moment, and is the improbable transition from the depths of despair to the mountaintop of triumphant hope. He says, and Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you say, and Jesus sat down? Oh, there's such powerful meaning. This symbolic language of sitting at the right hand of the throne, meaning in the highest authority. Can you say, and Jesus sat down? It's, 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 it's hard not to reminisce and, and remember that in Genesis chapter 2, it opens up by saying that after God had looked and seen all of what he has created and he had seen that it was finished, it says on the seventh day he rested. It's another way of saying, and God sat down. This notion, and Jesus sat down this this improbable transition how do you get to milanaka this improbable transition is 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 a transition that solidifies as he sits that something happened in jesus's crucifixion and resurrection that altered the course of the cosmos that redirected and redefined the ending of eternity for all who would put their trust in him come on now listen jesus says i know what it's like if you're fighting against e evil and fighting injustice I know what it's like if you're fighting and struggling with pain and guilt and shame. I know what it's like, but I've sat down. Somebody tell somebody, he sat down. And yes, you're still in the fight. You're fighting for hope. You're fighting against despair. You're fighting against depression. But Jesus says, I just want you to know in this very moment, the f I sat down. That means I've finished the work. It has been accomplished. And the fight that you're in is fixed. You're going to win. Come on. <laughs> you're going to win. Oh, have you ever watched those TV shows about these 15-round fights? It's a movie, but you know the fight's been fixed. And so the guy, he loses the first round, the fifth round, the 10th round, the 14th round. All of the points are stacked against him, but in the 15th round, he still ultimately wins. Why? Because the fight is fixed. Jesus says, from the posture of my ultimate authority, because of what I've done, because of how I've altered the cosmos, come on now, it's finished and now you can be assured that goodness will win and justice will win and forgiveness and redemption will win and joy will win out over pain and life will win out over death the fight's been fixed you are a winner come on now if you just put your trust in me can you not hear a quiet conviction and confidence that allowed him to defy the 
the cross and the shame. And he offers the same to those who were there, put their trust in him, a conviction, a confidence that you will win. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to the Christians who are pushing through the persecution. That's the faith he gives. But then there's a faithfulness. When we talk about faith, shout faithfulness. It has everything to do with actions. And when we come to this notion of faithfulness, the question is, how do I get to Melanarchy? How do we get to a place of joy? And, and what the writer of Hebrews says is simply, well, first, come on now, put your trust in Jesus. Second, follow him. Listen to what Jesus says a couple of days before he ends up in Jerusalem and, and ends up in the midst of the crucifixion. He's walking alongside the road. Tons of people are walking with him. They've been excited about all the miracles they've seen. And he kind of just steps off to the side. He says, come here, come here. I know you guys are talking about being my disciples. He says, look at here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Wow. Take up your cross. That means engage your suffering. Follow me. That means, that means fix your eyes on me. Find me. Come on now. In the midst of my crucifixion and what you see me do in the midst of that crucifixion, I want you to replicate that in the midst of your suffering. He says, come follow me. And listen, if I had been in the crowd, I said, oh, well, no, 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 no. You're going to end up on the cross and the crucifixion and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't really think that's for me. I just like to be around you when you work these miracles. I really like the miracle of turning the water to wine. That's some really good stuff, you know. Maybe you can leave a little bit of that around and I'll catch you on the other side. No, no, Jesus says, come follow me. No, you're going to end up in death. And Jesus says, that's right. Come die with me. You see, that's what's meant by this point right here. Deny yourself. Oh, here's the first action that Jesus requests, ask of us. Learn to die to self. There is no crucifixion of, there is no crucifying Jesus on the cross unless Jesus first decides to die to self. He said, replicate that action in your own suffering. You know, here's one of the things that hardship does. Hardship in your life tends to surface all of the artificial stuff that's in your life. It helps you to process through your values. You know, uh, Adrian Brown, who's a uh, social justice activist and an author in a publication not too, a few weeks ago said this. She says, listen, she's noticed that the hardship of the pandemic that locks us working at home has really driven at least the people in her circle to a new level of authenticity. And she, she describes it like this. She says, you know, people are showing up for Zoom meetings. They're not all, they're not all dressed up. And it says, and, and, and no one is ever surprised when a kid does a cartwheel across behind the, <laughs> or the cat jumps up and moves the, the monitor out of the way. You know, everybody just makes the adjustment and just keeps on because nobody is trying to pretend like they got their lives all together. It's just, well, all of our lives are in a mess. If somebody's in the room with you, just say, yeah, my life is in a mess. Come on, let's just focus. Let's go ahead and focus on the substance. That's what hardship does. And one of the things that Jesus would teach in the midst of his crucifixion is that one thing that you've got to, you've got to, you've got to slay is selfishness. Can somebody just sense selfishness? 
Oh, yes. Think about all the times in the midst of our hardship where we find that the dialogue comes back to me and my and I as though nobody else and no other interest even matters. Selfishness. You know that, 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 that Jesus' uh, surrender to crucifixion is the ultimate act of selflessness. Come on. This is what he says to Pilate. Pilate had him arrested. And Jesus says, listen, don't, don't get it confused. I have power to lay my life down. I have power to pick it up again. Come on, don't get I'm here voluntarily. The Paul writes about Jesus, these incredible words. He says, while we were yet powerless, Jesus Christ died for the ungodliness. It was an act of selflessness, which meant he slayed selfishness. Slay your selfishness. Secondly, slay the power of materialism in your life. I don't mean go sell everything you got and go live out in a tent in the woods. I'm not talking about that. As a matter of fact, I'm suggesting you ought to enjoy living in that beautiful house that you're living in. Just don't live for the house or for the next house. No, you enjoy looking forward to that promotion and, and the new raise that you're about to, to, to get. Just don't confuse the amount of money you have or don't have in your bank account, the, the amount of investments you have or don't have in your, in your stock portfolio. Come on, the educational certificates you have or don't have on your wall. Don't confuse that with how you calculate your value in your life. Who knew? As Jesus dies on the cross, come on, he, he, listen, he, he's been stripped of all that he has. He has no gold. He has no silver. Come on. He, 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 he has no stock investments. All of the clothes have been stripped completely. Uh, 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 even the one garment that his mother made has been cut in pieces and the soldiers are gambling over it. It is Jesus who declares the fox have holes, the birds have nests. The son of man has no place to lay his head. He's identifying with the homelessness and at at the end of the day, with all of that, history will never dispute the fact that Jesus is one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable human being in all of history. Why? Because he had two things going for him. <laughs> Number one, he knew he was boundlessly loved, right? I mean, don't you remember at his baptism, the sky cracked and the, and the voice came from heaven declaring, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased before Jesus did anything. Oh, if you don't get anything else from this message, might you leave this Easter Sunday morning knowing that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is everlasting proof. Come on now, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are by Boundlessly loved. But you know the second source of his value? As he talks about it in the Gospel of John, he says, look, I've come down from heaven to do one thing, to do the will of him who sent me. And so when you found Jesus on the mountaintop in the midst of his popularity, come on, in the midst of his popularity, and you know what you found? Uh, him doing the will of him who sent you. When you found Jesus, come on, totally isolated, dying by himself on the cross, he was still doing the will of him who sent him. Oh, might this conviction be what you take out of this message? That before you were in your mother's womb, 
You were in God's heart. You had a place in God's will. Come on now. And, and, and all that you would rise in the morning with one conviction. Come on. That I am to do the will of him who sent me. That's why you teach in that classroom. That's why you're starting that new business. That's why you're coming home early to hang out with the kids and the family. To do the will of him who sent me. Let that be the mantra in your life and your position to begin to reclaim your joy, even in the midst of suffering. All right, listen. So the first action step, faithfulness, is to die to self. The second is to decide to live for greater. Come on, shall I live for greater? Let's watch this text here. Look at this text. Look into Jesus, who for the sake of the joy. This is the NRSV translation of the text that I've been reflecting on. Listen to this. For the sake of the joy. I told you in the first message I taught several weeks ago that there's a hidden prize in the midst of this joy. Here's the question I want you to ask. I love this word, for the sake. What is it about this joy that is so powerful, that is so incredible, that is so remarkably beautiful, that it somehow inspires and empowers empowers Jesus to endure the cross and move to disregarding the shame? What is it? You know what's hidden in this joy? You and me for your sake come on now and my sake and and those that we love sake he endures the cross come on now as he re- as he facilitates redemption for all of our life you are jesus's joy <laughs> his movement on the cross is the proof that you are god's joy as he dies, he's living for greater. Let me offer three real quick ways for you to live for greater. Replicating what you see in Jesus as he dies in your life in the midst of your suffering. First, be generous. You know, here's how one of Jesus' disciples uh, taught about the gift that Jesus offered on the cross. First John three sixteen says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for others. Notice to give up generosity. You know, you don't have to be wealthy to be generous for it to be a part of your lifestyle. My grand aunt raised me to be generous. She kind of pushed that into my DNA. She used to tell me as a kid about when she was a kid, you know, maybe a half generation removed from the sharecropping farms in Louisiana. So you talk about how when they would kill a hog that they had, they had prepared all year. They'd cut that hog up and create little bags and, and just share it all up and down the neighborhood. And, you know, she drilled that in me as I was growing up. She'd say, boy, come on, they, the church doesn't have a janitor. You go on down there and clean up the church, cut the yard. Don't you dare ask them for anything. Go and do that. Generosity. <laughs> I started cutting yards. So, so Sue needs you to go down the street. Go down there and cut her yard. Now she's going to try to pay you, but you say, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. I'm just happy to do it. Can you shout generosity? When I started driving, she said, go over there, Mr. B.O. Jones, and take some money. And she'd give me some money and pick up this and that for Miss or Mr. So and so. And when you get there and they try to repay, tell her, no, 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 no. I'm just happy to do it. Generosity. You know, my grand she favored somebody. Who was it? Jesus! In the midst of his generosity, he says, you, you want to live for something greater, greater than you, greater than your prosperity, greater than... Be generous. 
Secondly, be kind. Now I can already hear you say it. I can't be kind. The world is too mean. It's too evil. It's too racist. It's too hate-filled. I'm not going to be somebody's doormat. I'm not going to be walked over. The world is too brutal. Is there any expression of brutality and cruelty worse than the crucifixion of the cross? And yet we find Jesus. This is what's so radical about following Jesus. In the midst of his death, he's exercising radical kindness. Listen, the first word he, 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 he speaks from the cross is he looks down and people are gambling over his garment. And he looks up and he says, Father, forgive them. Who? The folk who are crucifying me and gambling over my, my garment. For they don't know what they're doing kindness he looks at his right and the fellow says listen look I, I, you you're you're the savior uh, 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 when you get in your kingdom remember me and in that in that as he's dying he looks and he declares this day is the day of your redemption you shall be with me in paradise salvation now kindness he sees his mother and he sees his beloved disciple and he says to the beloved disciple, behold your mother, take her under your care. Mother, behold your new son. He's going to take care of you. Kindness. Kindness. To follow Jesus, to be filled with his spirit is to live a life of radical kindness. And then, of course, be sacrificial and service-minded as we hustle to our conclusion. He said, wow, listen to how Jesus describes how he ends up on the cross. He says, listen, the Son of Man did not come into the world uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life sacrificially as a ransom for many. I know some of you are working through some really tough times. You're on a lousy job. Some of your kids are driving you crazy. Some of you are struggling and caring for your aging parents. Man, some of you are in the midst of challenging difficulties the, the challenge of this message is to find yourself in those circumstances and adopt the paradigm of sacrificial service. And <laughs> you begin to find yourself positioned to reclaim your joy. Listen, when I was back in Boston, I used to be a fellow on the corner uh, a couple of blocks down from the church. And I knew him. He knew me. And I passed by one day. I was just teasing him. I said, hey, man, what's in that brown bag you got? He said, oh, Reverend, that's my joy juice. <laughs> listen, here's what scientists tells us. For the last 15, 20 years, they've been doing this research, and they said, listen, people who regularly are generous and kind and sacrificial in their service, it activates the chemicals in the pleasure center of your brain. Come on now, that God has built into your anatomy some joy juice. So I'm suggesting, come on, be generous, be kind, be sacrificial, follow Jesus' lead, and activate your joy juices. <laughs> All right. Let me finish here. Come on now. Come on. Die to self. Live for greater. And then trust fully. Notice this text. Notice this text. Jesus enduring the cross. Here he is in the final moments. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It's completed. I finished what I need to do. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As we think about this notion of of what he just did. He's illustrating a full trust in the Father. Oh my goodness. Uh, let me give you two insights about trusting fully. Some of you said, I'll never be generous and kind and self-sacrificial because I don't want to be a doormat. I can't trust the world in the midst of that. I'm not asking you to trust the world. 
I'm asking you to trust the creator of the world who has revealed himself through Jesus, who declares that if you, if you act in the way that Jesus acted, that, that your efforts will not be wasted. It will, it will be built into the redemptive work of the world, and the world will get better whether you see it or not. And more importantly, you'll become a better person. And then, of course, we will all come to this place where we will face physical death. As I think about this, I'm reminded that there was a lady back in Louisiana where I grew up at. I think she lived probably around New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And when she was getting ready to die, she gave instructions. She says, listen, when I die, I want you to write on my tombstone one word. He said one word. And so when they lowered her body and buried it, and you saw on the tombstone, waiting, <laughs> waiting. He said, what are you, what are you waiting? Oh, she's, she's a sister saying, I'm taking my place. Come on. Where, where Jesus was at the end of Friday evening when the text says he died. When history says he died. You know, and, 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 and Friday night he was dead. And Saturday morning he was dead. But, but in that death space, he was waiting. Saturday the evening he was dead. Saturday night he was dead. But he was waiting. Somebody might have the audacity to ask what was he waiting for? And if I might use the vernacular of the elderly African-American preacher, I would declare to you, he was waiting for Sunday morning. Tell somebody, Sundays are coming, y'all. <laughs> and on Sunday morning, his disciples would rename it the Lord's Day. Come on now, the earth did shake. On Sunday morning, the rock did roll. That he who was dead did come back to life and walked out of the tomb. And the angel announced to the women who showed up, why are you here looking for the living among the dead? He kept his word. He is risen. That is the resounding hope for the church in all ages, despite despair. That is the resounding hope for the Christian who buries a loved one at the graveyard. He is risen. That is the resounding hope for that person who is shrouded in the darkness of despair. He is risen. Oh, my goodness. And because he's risen, I'm guaranteed to ultimately rise in joy and in victory. But while I wait, may it be so that I will declare with the psalmist, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad within it. While I wait, I will rejoice by dying to self. I will rejoice by living for something greater. I will rejoice by trusting him fully. I will rejoice indeed, for I will reclaim my joy as I wait. Because I know Sundays are coming. Amen. 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 Praise God. Listen, every year at this time, as believers who follow Jesus, we commit our faith right here by participating in a prayer. And those who might be listening and you're looking, come on now to reclaim your joy and to lock into that confidence that is found, I say, uniquely in Jesus. I invite you to participate in this prayer. Treat it as a prayer 
of first-time commitment or returning to your commitment. Would you just offer your hands out like this, if you would? Just pray with me. Jesus, I accept your amazing love, grace, and forgiveness poured out through your death and resurrection. Now, living Lord, help me to daily reclaim my joy. As I die to self and live for greater, teach me to trust you more fully in life and death. I may ultimately rise in joy and victory. Amen. All right, listen, if you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time in your life, or if you prayed it as a recommitment prayer, that you're returning to your faith after being away for six months or a year or longer, then here's the deal. Let's together focus on our connection card. It's popping up right now in our Facebook chat, as well as on our um, website, and it's also in our app, because I want to encourage you to take at least one of several more steps. Listen, here's, here's the deal. Go to the connection card. Go to Sunday section, look at Next Steps with Jesus, and you got three options there. One is the decision to say, I want to be a Jesus follower, or I want to return to my faith. The third simply says, I want more information, okay? If you want to pick either of those two options, go ahead and make, those, make that decision now. If you don't have access to the connection card, we're going to make it real easy for you. Just take out your phone and simply text the name. Go ahead and do it right now. Take out your phone, text the name Jesus to 77411. All right? Text the name. Go ahead and do it now. Make this decision. Jesus to 77411. Lastly, if you want to be baptized in the next two weeks, we're going to be doing virtual baptisms. So all you got to do is indicate that right there on the connection card or go to our event page. We would love for you to participate in our next baptism wherever you live in the world. All right. OK, get back here next week for us to kick off my brand new series called Grow.